Well, kia ora koutou. welcome to CircuitCast, and uh, we are at AUT in Auckland today for a conversation about the way public galleries are changing, the new models they're taking up. Uh, and that couldn't be more obvious than uh, in Auckland at the moment, with lots of changes happening in uh, our galleries. Uh, and here to talk about uh, some of the reasons, uh, I have three representatives from galleries. I have Gabriella Salgado from uh, Tatuhi. Kia ora. Kia ora. Uh, I have Charlotte Huddleston from here at AUT at St Paul Street. Kia ora, Charlotte. Kia ora. And uh, from the recently reopened Gus Fisher Gallery, Lisa Beauchamp. Kia ora. Kia ora. Pronunciation, yeah. Oh, is that okay? That's good. Yeah. Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's excellent. French? Yeah, we. Oui. <laughs> um, well, maybe we could start by getting you all three to introduce maybe a way that the gallery you represent is changing and what it's doing at the moment and why. Uh, Gabriella, should we start with you? Sure. I came to the Tatuhi only one and a half year ago, so I can speak for myself what I'm doing for the program, but also a building from what it was there before, which is fundamentally to support new practice. So what we do is to um, provide opportunities for uh, young artists to produce new, daring, experimental work, but also um, do that with established artists who want to dare and do something different to what they normally do. That is the main focus of Tetui. It has been for a long time. So in that sense, I'm not just bringing something new. I'm just uh, excited to provide a new way of doing that. And one of the things that we have been doing uh, for the last five years, uh, prior to my arrival, and I'm sustaining that because I like it, is collaborations with other organizations across Auckland and getting out of the building into other venues. So the moment we have a, a pop-up, live salon with Faisal Abdullah, an artist from Britain uh, who is in Auckland for a few days cutting hair and having conversations with people. But we have done that at the silos and we have done that in other venues around Auckland. So that is um, something that we also want to uh, sustain as a way to get out of the YQ, the gallery setting, and experiment with different audiences and different ways of doing exhibitions. Your gallery, Tatuhi, is in Pakaranga, so it's a, in, in a, it's a bit of a drive from the centre of Auckland. Um, why not just move the gallery? Or is there a, is there a, what, is the, what is the relationship to that local area in relationship to these moves? Tatuhi is very ingrained in the community. It was funded by a group of women uh, in the 1970s who had a vision for the community to have opportunities to do creative work so they could do classes and uh, come and hang out and talk about art. And that developed into creating a gallery to exhibit the works that they were making in their classes. And eventually in 2001, the two um, facilities, the, 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 the community spaces and the gallery were united in one building. And this is the tattoo that people know. And yes, it is in East Tamaki. It is a little bit of a drive, not that far if you consider the real distance. Um, so that is also why we want to work outside of the building because even though we have regular audiences and good openings and you know it, we, we don't complain about how people respond to our program, but we want to extend that to other parts of Auckland. Hmm. Lisa, welcome. You're, you're a relative newcomer in the room to, mm -hmm. to, to Auckland with Gus Fisher. Uh, what, what's the Gus Fisher trying out? Well, I suppose at the moment it's trying out me <laughs> because I'm new. Um, so I arrived in New Zealand, well, nearly a year ago now. 
And I suppose, you know, starting as a curator of contemporary art, um, I was tasked with um, bringing a kind of strong curatorial contemporary art focused vision to the Gus Fisher Gallery, building on its previous programming, but also to um, create, I suppose, a holistic vision that represents the gallery, not just to arts audiences, but to people all across Auckland. Um, and I suppose I was given a kind of blank canvas in a sense, but I'll take that with it. I took that with a big pinch of salt, you know, and, um, you know, when I was curating in Birmingham, I'm, you know, as a curator, I suppose I'm coming from it, um, well, to it from quite a, um, a background where, you know, culture and the arts weren't really seen as jobs or job prospects. Right. They weren't seen as a career. So, you know, I've got a master's, but I don't have a PhD. So I think I'm bringing to curating, um, you know, I'm always thinking about what would someone think if they've never walked into an art gallery before? What would my dad think, for instance, you know? So, and that's what I'm trying to bring to the Gus Fisher is bring a kind of sensibility that is ambitious, but also really accessible and fun, you know? So I came to Auckland, I was very much getting to grips with what's happening in Auckland, but also around the country. And then, you know, thinking about what could the Gus Fisher add that's unique and different. Um, and the gallery itself is very architecturally distinct. It's kind of slap bang in the middle of the central business district, which is quite a strange place to find a 1934 building with a giant red and white radio mast on, um, you know, uh, with a good night kiwi on the top, you know. So I'm kind of thinking about all of these things and trying to embed a programme that feels socially responsive, that feels relevant, and also that um, reflects our pioneering history. So through the programme, we'll be showing a very strong thread of artist film, which links back to the original use of our space as former Radio 1YA studios and TVNZ, where the first TV broadcast was made in 1960. So all of those things are kind of bubbling yeah. around in my brain and the programme. And then a, we've hired a public programmes and engagement officer. So public programmes are interwoven with everything we do with the exhibitions. Um, and that's integral. So I'm seeing that as equally as important as the curated exhibitions. It's not just a sideline, it's interwoven. Um, but you know, we've only just opened on April 6th. So yeah, we've started to, I think, do things ambitiously and differently, but we'll see what happens. And already quite a strong um, moving image component in the current exhibition. Yeah. yeah. Um, Charlotte, just moving on to you, people will be a little bit more aware of St Paul Street AUT as a gallery, but you've had some quite big shifts in the last year, I understand. Uh, yes. Um, I think just in listening to Lisa and Gabriella, um, and as both, um, uh, I guess, recent, more recently in their roles, I've been at St Paul Street for nine years this July. So um, I mention that because our changes are coming from a different context, as in, like, not a new person making the programme, but. Yeah. Um, someone who's been there for a while and, and making the changes coming from a different place in that sense. Um, so, yeah, we've changed it. Um, there's many reasons why. One of them is um, looking at ways we can engage better with the Art and Design School and Teaching and Learning um, at AUT, and that's because that's our core business, you could say, um, being a university gallery. Um, 
and uh, we have a really great profile um, within the wider contemporary art community and our programs are well attended in that sense and um, that's been something that we've really worked on developing in the time I've been there and then just looking at ways that we can shift that, that refreshes it for us and then as I said um, refreshes our relationship internally and looks at ways that we can strengthen that and um, engage more so it is an audience engagement thing, but it's, it's right. slightly different from the outward-facing audience engagement. Um, another key part of it is the, uh, the kind of shifting. It's an experiment in slowing down, but I've been thinking about it a lot. We, that's only just come into the program this year. So we're having two exhibitions essentially as part of the curated program, one for each semester. So that's another alignment with the teaching and learning um, and, t and time. And, and that's dropped from something like eight to ten or something. Yeah, we change shows about every six weeks previously. Quite um, a big shift in way of operating. Yeah. It is. There's less, less changeovers. Um, so that's the labour and the cost involved in that. And also the waste. Making exhibitions is quite wasteful. Um, um, yes, so it's, it's ironi ironically talking forward. about the yeah. galleries talking, public galleries talking about critiquing capitalism at the same time as pouring out all this product. Yeah, yeah and that's just <laughs> the norm. So it was sort of thinking about what we can do, what, what we can continue to do that's our strength, but how can we sort of think about changing that? And so there's part of that's about thinking about exhibition making in different ways and um, stretching our resources further. Um, or or not stretching them so much by doing less, uh, and obviously the the um, Pantograph Punch um, article by Iwana Gordon Smith has just come out, and so it's been really interesting to get some feedback from people around that. Well, can I can I can I come to that because I was about to mention that, yep. and it might start to crack open this discussion. Ioana prefaced that work by saying that the arts funding had reached a crisis point, which was a pretty bold thing for someone to say. I was really interested in your respective points of view on that from where you are in your institutions as to whether that's uh, an accurate reflection of where things are for public galleries. Um, for us, we have difficulty getting, say, Creative New Zealand funding anyway because there's a, a university and it's all government funding, universities, CNZ, and so that's become more difficult for university galleries to get CNZ funding in recent years. Um, so, yeah, in terms of public funding in that sense, um, we haven't had much recently anyway. Um, but in some ways we need it more because we haven't ha had a budget increase. But you've been there for nine years. Are you in more of a crisis than you were nine years ago when you started? The um Yes and no. <laughs> yes, because our, our um, operational budget didn't increase in the whole time I've been in the job, and I think before that. No, because um, we actually have some extra funding this year based on um, a business case that I wrote asking for more support um, and benchmarking it against other university galleries because we were mm. underfunded relative to that. And so this year we have been given extra budget based on my business case. So 
that's why it's a yes and no answer. Yeah, right. So I don't know if that's going to become the new normal. So that's what I'm working on now um, is to make that be the new normal that we have this increased level of funding. Gabriella, you're artistic director, so it's not necessarily your area, this finding the money to a degree, I think, but I'd be interested in your feelings coming particularly coming to New Zealand and we spend increasingly, you know, more more time in, in fundraising than, you know, ever before. I saw the crisis coming to Europe when I was in England, I was at the Tate when the financial crisis hit Europe in 2008 and the cuts were implemented immediately regardless of any other markers because of the alarm of what that would be. And, uh, you know, my department suffered a 30% cut in staff, which was really bad because the learning department at Tate was very strong and we were doing amazing programs and that that suffered heavily. Um, on the other the hand, uh, Tate built a new part, and a new building next to... Uh, I was working at Tate Modern in particular. Tate has four galleries in the country. So uh, Tate Modern suddenly had a new building on, at the back of that cut. <laughs> so yes, you have a new building, but you cut on stuff. What, what a strange situation. That happened across Europe, and you still see the, the crisis affecting cultural institutions. Also, this mentality that culture doesn't really, which is really... Um, messy and not well articulated by any government, but is that culture doesn't re really provide a gain to society at the, you know, at the bottom of it. And that is something that we need to struggle against here and there, everywhere, because actually, Jacinda Arden said it at Te Papa when the um, opening of Pacific Sisters, she said that we need to start valuing artists and their contribution to society as a fundamental part of our lives. And uh, I don't and the economy, which I don't think is what's informing uh, the lack of funding or the scarcity. You know, we are fairly independent at TUI because we generate income through room hires and services to the community, and that gives a lot of uh, independence. But I have to apply to CNZ for publications, for instance, which is frustrating because you know there are too many people applying. So oh, there's you're not competing with artists. With aren't so you? many people, so we we don't have that facility. We should be core in any program that the capacity to publish. So that's my complaint for mm. the day. I just um, read recently a Guardian article. I haven't read it properly. The one about that the arts bring in more to the British economy than than agriculture, wasn't it? Which yes. is interesting. Yeah. yeah. Lisa, what's your impressions arriving here relatively recently? Um, I mean, in the UK, I suppose I got used to there being a constant crisis in funding mm -hmm. because it felt like the crisis never went away. It was just kind of moved around. Mm -hmm. So if your organisation isn't suffering, someone else nearby is, or is your, if your department isn't suffering, there's another department that is. And I think what's really... You know, we were reliant on, you know, the equivalent of CNZ funding in the UK, so Council funding and Arts Council England funding. And I think, you know, you see organisations get funded by external funders, but then a couple of years, you know, they, they've, they, you know, because they get funding, they're given such huge, high, actually unattainable um, targets, um, and then they don't reach them, and then the money gets withdrawn, and it's like, well... How are you helping build that organisation? What you're doing, really, is you're giving 
a few organisations a bit of money to do loads of activity in a particular area over a couple of years, then you're withdrawing that funding and then giving it to another organisation to do exactly the same thing. So what you've got is this kind of pepper pot, kind of weird kind of mill of like all these organisations competing and actually delivering the same level of activity, but who are the ones growing above that? There's no growth beyond that except you know, somewhere like, you know, these huge, huge organisations like Tate, like other places, who can then get huge corporate sponsorship to put up a flashy new building, you know. Um, I suppose I haven't, yeah, I've not been here long enough to really understand the nitty gritty of the funding system here. I mean, for us, we are part of the University of Auckland, so at the moment, that's where our funding comes from. However, you know, I'm not, you know, saying that we won't, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. So, you know, funding and I think, you know, being sustainable as an organisation is something that is very much on my mind. Um, and thinking about how we can partner, you know, have partnerships which are really beneficial. Mm. Um, but yeah, you know, we have to become, you know, I think arts organisations, you know, they're constantly being told you have to be these kind of sustainable, you have to be businesses effectively, you have to be operating as businesses, but in a way that is often completely opposite to actually what the function of an art gallery is, you know? So you're being told, okay, raise money through, you know, venue hire and put a few weddings on and stuff like that. And it's like, well, hang on a minute, you know, we'll charge, you know, but we're meant to be these, you know, almost essentially arts charities that are there you know, for the public. Yeah. So where do you draw the line? Yeah, I mean, you're in an interesting situation um, there, I guess, with Auckland University around, you know, with the with the, the dropping of the libraries last year and a lot of controversy around that. And yeah. You would have thought that there's an opportunity here, obviously, for the university to get really behind its gallery. It's a good mm -hmm. news story and a good way to relate to the public in new ways. Mm -hmm. um, the, the talk around this that you've got around the frame around this exhibition, Lisa, is, is for the people, this kind of mm -hmm. idea of the public space. And I'm kind of interested in that relationship between the university, which affects you too, Charlotte, I guess, about how much of it's about being that research place and that place for students and how much is it about a university fulfilling a public role as a public institution and, and, and taking that out to the public and, and what the tensions are at the moment for you in that regards. Have you got any feelings about that um yeah it's it's a fine balance i guess and for us we've it's really been very successful in terms of saint paul street having a profile nationally and a modest yeah. one internationally which is um you know it's there um and yeah, and then sort of that's in a way we're kind of recalibrating with these these structural programmatic structural shifts, um, as I've outlined, to think again about how we can be a better university gallery, and and there are, all the university galleries are different too. That's um, that's always interesting. So we sit in the art and design school, so we sit in a practice based school. Um, uh, not like the Adam, which is in, aligned with an art history department. So for me, that inflects the program. So where where our focus, I think, should be and is more on practices, let's say, and so curatorial and exhibition making practices is um, under that remit too. Even though we don't have those programs of study um, at AUT, um, and I think it's. Uh, it's a constant 
um, the, the, like all relationships, they need tending all the time and they have their points of intensity and less. But um, And the, I have some anecdotal evidence from what, New Zealand, Australia and some from the UK around um, there's a common theme that I've come across in talking to university gallery directors and staff is that we all struggle to connect with the university, with teaching and learning. So I don't know how to solve that problem. And it's it's somewhat reassuring to know that it's like not my fault. <laughs> it doesn't work, it doesn't come easy, but that it, for some reason it's difficult. Um, if someone can figure out how to address that, then that would be like, gold I think. Lisa what do you see as the relationship between yourself and the School of Fine Arts for example because mm. you're physically quite separated. We are physically quite separated I mean we're physically separated from the whole university mm. so we're more you know we're closer to like lawyers on Shoreland <laughs> Street you know um, so I think you know I would say at the moment we have a really close relationship with the university I mean we've got because of the public programs we're getting a lot of you know students and lecturers from Elam coming in with their students showing them around the exhibition just today we've had three groups already you know so um, they are coming over and I think it's I think it is about advocacy you know um, but I've only just started so you know ask me in a few years but you know I think it's just raising an awareness and making it exciting and relevant you know and um, but you know the university, I mean, it's a huge beast, isn't it? It's kind of, it's difficult to, to, to get a real handle on what's happening because there's so much happening. Um, and I suppose I'm thinking, you know, all I can think about is how our exhibitions or the artists in them or the public programmes we do are going to connect in some way to what's being taught, mm. you know. That's all I can try and connect with and reach out to those lecturers, to those groups and say, look, you know, we've got something happening, we've got something coming up that could be relevant, let's meet, let's do something. You know, that's all I can do at the moment, you know, because it's got to work both ways. You know, I, I worked as curator of a university collection, not in the gallery, but I used the gallery regularly for the collection displays and engaging curators, external curators, or doing exhibitions with the gallery director um, to highlight some aspects of the collection. That was at Essex University. And we had the same problem. We talked all the time about, well, they don't come, they don't engage. We had to always be like doing you know, inventing big gestures to attract the attention of academics and students alike. And I think that that is more to do with the fact that big museums as well as big institutions like universities are like mazes where people get lost in their own little department concern and or big department <laughs> concern and they don't really cross to the other side of the corridor to see what the colleagues are doing because everybody's siloed in their area of expertise. In that sense, the university or the big museum are kind of a reflection of what is happening out in the world whereby visual arts or a gallery is seen as, a, as an accessory instead of a vital um, cultural um, hub, a place where culture is manifest and expresses itself and reaches out to the world and feeds. Mm. Yes, the so the, the, the public forum, that space, whether yeah. it's the gallery or the theatre, is the place where all of those can join. And it seems to me the crisis that we're talking about is partly a, a crisis of fragmentation, whether it's our media or it's whether, it, whether it's in academia. 
um, in terms of how that all gets together, that kind of crisis of connection. Because I know that we went through a huge period of gallery building, really, comparatively, in this country in you know, the last 20 years. Uh, the tertiary institutions have grown and grown and grown, and now we have this crisis of connecting it all together and sustaining it, perhaps. And also because things are always changing in universities as well. There's constant change. I think that's what I've noticed. That, you know, mm. when there's constant change and there's constant turnover, whether that be of staff or resources or, you know, direction, then it's difficult for everyone to connect, isn't it? You know? Yeah. But Absolutely. equally, I, I have to say, because I'm an older person, I studied in free universities all my life. In South America, there's still lots of very good public universities and they function alongside the private universities, but you can choose to by merit uh, apply to and get into a public university and the same you know i've seen that in britain too i went to royal college we didn't have to pay fees the corporate impulse of academia you know what is happening now is the big problem we're seeing that becoming more and more like the space of the museum these businesses that need to function according to certain ways of doing things that have core values that are very different from what we still managing our heads when curating, when writing, when working with artists. So that there is a big conflict of interest there, value. I think just on that, in, um, within AUT, uh, given how things are going, and there's a real pinch in lots of places in terms of budgets, and so I think the fact that we have um, been given this extra funding, uh, at least for this calendar year, is a real... Um, a real support because it's just the the signal of it as much as the actual resource is quite significant, um, given how tight things are, um, just within you know what you what you feel within being in this environment. So um, that's great, and that's that's support essentially um, from you know senior leadership in in the university. So it's that's a really um, feels like a great endorsement of understanding the value of these kinds of places existing, the value mm. of galleries, that it's not, it provides, it adds value to the student experience, it adds value to the city as well, um, and that's definitely, I know, something that is on the minds of senior leadership. How important is it to your work to... Um be sustaining through commissions the, uh, the work of, of, of New Zealand artists? Um, well, obviously it's, it's huge in that without artists we couldn't make exhibitions. Um, but then how that, how that shakes down is so uneven across organisations because the funding's uneven. Um, you know, even people who have jobs, the, the wages and salaries across all the organisations are uneven. There's not really a kind of benchmarking across in no, New Zealand. No, there isn't. Yeah. So it's difficult then. Everyone sort of has to work within their means in terms of um, how they do things and then what kind of remuneration artists get in relation to that. Um, yeah, I mean, of course it's important, but um, and we are probably it's the same for everyone. We do the best that we can, but it's still not enough. <laughs> for, you know, like as in artists don't get paid as much as they should. Mm. Lisa, we're not too big to care is the motto of the new show. And so rod for your own back when it comes to artists asking how much, how much do you care? Yeah, 
well, all the artists were paid, so, you know, I've done something. Um, yeah, I mean, we've got, what, maybe five new commissions in this show. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if that's something I will be able to sustain at that level because, um, because we were closed. We closed last September for the refurb and, you know, to put a new programme in place. You know, there was surplus budget that I allocated towards this show. So making it more, you know, it's our first show, it's got to be really ambitious. I wanted to commission artists. Um, so, you know, going forward, it is going to be tighter budget wise. But I mean, you know, commissions are so important. I mean, I've seen the impact that the commissions have had on the artists that have done them for this show. And it's been huge. You know, it's been really transformative for their practice. Um, I'm saying that, I hope they would say that, but you know, <laughs> I think it has, you know, and um, you know, the value that we get from that and that they get from, you know, I think is really crucial, um, but it is a challenge and it's gonna be a challenge. Um, yeah. Mm. Well, Gabrielle, it sounds like bread and butter to, for you in terms of wanting to commission artists. We do commission for every exhibition. The question is, I always, um, I was shocked when I came to New Zealand with the fees paid to artists. I, I found them very low. Um, and the cost of living is not low in New Zealand. So you need to consider that when you pay. But again, it's a question of value. Um, how you value the artist's work, which is not actually fabricating an object, but research time, reading time, traveling maybe, um, sourcing, sourcing materials and, and of all kinds, uh, physical materials and also intellectual materials, which require a lot of dedication. So I don't think that you can actually value artist fees and commissioning fees fairly. Um, across the board, you need to be particular with this, and we can't. We can't afford that luxury. Well, you're in an interesting situation, which I think Charlotte was alluding to, and that you've got many artists who are working in full-time employment and academic positions, and then you have those who are entirely mm -hmm. dependent on finding an income through their art practice or wherever. Yeah, we, we pay fees for commissions and uh, we pay production. And the advantage of uh, covering production is that artists can actually make something new that they had in their heads for a long time and couldn't, couldn't make happen because of lack of resources and that is a vehicle for them to do it. And then they can take that somewhere else and they can make it grow or they can start a new whole chapter in the practice through that experimentation that allows them the freedom because if you have to pay for an experiment you might not do it just because it's an experiment <laughs> so you know all that is is our co-papa i would say is, is really at the heart of the TUI that we facilitate we make possible for artists to experiment to, to dare to do something new and i think the value is there for me but i still think that we should be paying more if we all could come to a, an agreement um, and, and get more funding <laughs> to, to support artists properly. And equally, you know, all the artists who support us, like technicians, they're fabulous artists. You know, everybody working in galleries, they're artists, either are lecturers or working um, as technicians and installing the work of other artists. And uh, that, is, that is tough, you know. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's hard, yeah. Well, thank you to all three of you and, and please keep up the good work on behalf of our artists. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. And thank you to the artists. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for joining us. You've been with Circuit Cast and we are supported by Crave New Zealand. Kia ora. Yeah.